Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Okay, so today we're going to talk about uh, motivation and what that means. And over the next couple episodes, we're going to talk about some of the resistance to motivation. But I'm not sure what you guys think when you first think about motivation, especially since we're putting this out at the beginning of 2024. But I think a lot of people think about goal setting, which we covered previously. I found a definition I really like that says motivation is when there's a mismatch between where you are and where you want to be. And it's how that mismatch is showing up. Mm-hmm. What definitions would you guys use? There's two I like. Um, one is people we work with tend to think of motivation as the desire to do something. You have this feeling that you want to do something. Um, the definition of motivation that I prefer is commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're like, oh, you know, I'm just not motivated to do this because I, I just don't feel like doing it is what they mean. Uh, generally is what they mean. Uh, whereas there are lots of things that people do every day that they don't feel like doing, but they're committed to do. Uh, like lots of people will not feel like going to work, but they get up and do it anyway for various commitments. Maybe it's because you're committed to having food. Maybe it's you're committed to paying the mortgage or rent. Maybe it's that you're committed to taking care of your partner and kids. There is some kind of commitment that you have. And the commitment is stronger than the feeling. Can I? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I really like that definition because then I think of it in the opposite way of sometimes we're also committed to not changing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm committed to getting mad every time somebody says, you know, or does X, Y, Z, because I don't want to learn the new skill or I don't want to push past an emotion. So I think that's an interesting definition. And I like that one too, Taylor. Yeah, I would say for me, a lot of it is probably the, I I often, often feel like it, there's motivation as in a verb and motivation as in a noun. Like, I feel like there's the motivation in a noun is like what Taylor's describing of like the thing that's telling, like, tell me what am I doing it for? And then I also think like the motivation, like what's motivating you to do this can be that of like, what's my mission statement of what I'm trying to accomplish. It can also be like, what's the action that's getting you to do it kind of thing. Like, what's the thing that's driving it was the gasoline, right? That's actually getting you to propel forward. So yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot of ways to kind of look at that. I think with a lot of therapy terms, I've noticed there are nouns and verbs, versions of those. And so we kind of understand them differently depending on where we're at or depending on what our experiences are. So I think motivation can be kind of used in a couple different ways. And we, I think we'll be aware of that as we describe what motivation is, because it can be like the motivate. And I guess that's where you use motivator versus motivation. And so kind of looking at the differences between that, as we're discussing, like what it means to be essentially accomplishing something is what we are hoping to succeed. Whether it be, I want to accomplish doing nothing 
what's the end result? What's my final place? I think it's interesting because as we talk about this, one of the things that I hear a lot is I'm just not motivated as if it's like a yes or no switch kind of a thing versus understanding that we're all motivated. We're all currently using motivation. How we understand our current motivation might be something we can work on. But so for example, if I am sitting and watching my third hour of Netflix for the day, I'm motivated to do that somehow because that is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. That is just as true as if I'm saying, hey, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go work out. I'm motivated to do that. So motivation is not just something we experience when we're moving in what we may or may not classify as a positive direction. We're also motivated for the things we do that aren't serving us. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking like, that's that's not motivation. That's avoidance. And avoidance is a motivator. Like we're maybe avoiding uh, pain. Maybe we're avoiding something that uh, we don't want. Uh, we've talked before on the podcast about doing what looks good and what feels good. And maybe, you know, watching Netflix until it judges you and asks if you're still there because you haven't hit the remote in so long, uh, that that's still a motivator to you know, be more comfortable than uh, working on that work project, uh, folding the laundry, doing the dishes. I personally hate folding laundry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I find folding laundry is easier with a Netflix component. That's just me. Yeah, you can do two things at once for sure. Mm-hmm. I think as we talk about these different types of motivations from the therapy perspective, and I like that we're touching on this is you are currently motivated to do what you're doing. So if you're you're coming to therapy and you're saying, hey, I need to stop or I want to stop or I want to change my relationships or something, part of our job as therapists is to understand why you're currently motivated to behave the way you are, even if it's not serving you. And we dig into that as far as our trauma history um, with you. We dig into that as far as understanding, like, tell me what triggered that experience. I just had a client tell me that, you know, they behaved in a way they really weren't proud of. And we kind of did some backtracking and we were able to dissect what had really gone on and when they had, um, when they had really started to betray their truth, which then put them into the fight, flight, freeze response that they weren't proud of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I honestly feel like is the majority of our job as therapist is helping people find their motivators and what is going to motivate them. <clears throat> I think we, a lot of people don't understand why they want change. And I think that that's the big question. It's like something feels wrong and I need to fix something or I feel unregulated and I want to help decide this. And then it's the idea of, okay, well, it's one thing to make that decision on your own. Let's say, okay, health, you know, food stuff. Okay. Like Jen and I have both and Taylor have all had experience with trying to say, I want to, the goal is I want to feel like I'm eating healthier. I want to feel like I'm taking better care of myself. Um, and we've all gone through different ways of doing that. Um, Taylor chooses to go to Taco Amigo to continue to feel like he's eating healthier, but he puts a little lettuce on that burger once in a while, or we sneak it, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I'm just joking. But, um, 
for me, it was one thing that I was like, okay, I need to do this. And I've done a lot of different things. And finally, recently I've been doing a nutrition coach type of person who she helps me learn how to plan meals that are like of paying attention to macros and paying attention to healthy fats and paying attention to, you know, unhealthy sugars and things like that. And so for me, it was like, my motivation was I want to eat healthy. And then it got to this point of saying, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, there's so many different ways I can do it. So what am I going to do? And then it was this motivator became this thing of, I want to be able to look at a meal and know what would be best for me out of that meal and know what I'm going to feel good after about. And so that's what I'm going towards. And then the motivation to do that is something that, you know, this person who I've engaged with, she and I talk about the motivation of like, okay, well, what is it? And I'm like, well, another thing is like, you know, I want to be able to go to the gym and feel like I don't have, um, you know, a shortness of breath. I want to feel like I can say I drink a gallon of water a day and all these different things to go with it. And so I think, I think when we've identified that, whether it be a therapy standpoint or a different one, a, a lot of the times these people who are there to help us with it are simply there to help clarify because we've got all these reasons why we can't do it or why we failed in the past or why this is a stupid goal. And they, you know, we help other people help depending on what you're trying to fix or trying to excel in. They help you look into that because of their specialty and say, how do we simplify this? So that way we can do the most basic thing here. That's going to give you the best feeling and the best results after. I love that. So when we talk about this idea of motivation, we're going to go into some different types of things that affect motivation. Um, and they are anger, fear, hopelessness, and justification. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about the process of change. And then we're going to talk about outcome resistance. So just as far as you know, we're going back into kind of doing this subsection over the next, um, this will be the first of seven episodes in that. And so when you look at this, you're, you might think we were touching a little bit on a couple of things. This is meant to be an overview. I, um, I think it's really important to realize that we don't ever just do one. So it's not going to be like, oh, I am only someone who resists change out of anger or fear or justification, but understanding when they show up for each is really important. I have found that a lot of people understanding where the resistance to change comes from can be really powerful for them. If I say, if I'm having a conversation, I say, hey, this this is a this type of resistance, then you get a choice. It's not about me as your therapist ever saying you and you have to knock that off, right? It's about me saying, how do you feel about that? Like if I realize that I'm justifying my behavior, but it's not serving me, the question then comes back to me and uh in or the client in that case is say, now, what do I want to do now that I understand that I'm using justification? Do I want to keep doing it? Is it serving me? Am I fine with that? Or do I want to consider working to gain skill and knowledge in that area? And I like that because it goes back to what Haley was saying is, is once we realize we don't know how to do something or that we're doing something and the motivator isn't serving us, then we can start to gain skill. And I think my experience has definitely been that that conversation and is especially for adults and anyone 
who started to have some metacognition is the conversation we need to have. If we just give you a star chart as a, I'm 44. So if you just give me a star chart, I can probably work my way out of a star chart pretty quickly. So okay. it's not just a matter of, you know, negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement, although that's a portion of it, we're looking more at what's the deeper thing and how do I want to live my life? What's my value around this? You should probably define what metacognition is. Yes. So metacognition happens in our late teen years for most people. Not everybody learns metacognition and it actually um, can be affected by trauma, but metacognition is the ability to think about our thoughts versus just act. And so we see that change in um, when we talk about behavior modification that happens in young kids, the, the immediate positive negative rewards. But for people who have gone through that metacognition in, in that adolescence, early adulthood phases, they will start to... Um, they will start to be able to use some of these more you mean like self-reflection. Yes. More. I was going to say, what else did you guys want to add? Self-reflection. Um, as far as like overarching motivation, I find that there's internal, uh, sorry, there's um, pushing and pulling uh, motivation. Um, that sometimes there are external forces that are trying to push us in a direction, whether we want to go there or not. Uh, like maybe there's fear. Um and uh, uh, like court, maybe we're worried we're going to be alone or we're going to be rejected. Uh, maybe there's uh, consequences. And so we're just being pushed in a direction, whether we want to or not. And other times we're being pulled in a direction. Maybe there's something that we want to do. Uh, maybe there's something we're hoping to get. Uh, and so... In, in one way or another, our why, like you were saying earlier, Haley, mm -hmm. is maybe uh, because these external things are moving us, either because we're being pushed from behind or we're being pulled in a direction that maybe we want or we're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, these would maybe be more external forces. And you hear a lot about internal motivation. Uh, and that's a really hard place to get. And uh, like you were saying about those kinds of resistances that we'll get into in later episodes, Jen, you're not just going to have one, you can have overlapping and you can be in a different place from one day to the next. Um, and I think that there's a lot of stigma around having external motivation. And I don't think that we necessarily care in therapy why you come, but maybe uh, we want to... Uh, just as someone that cares about you in therapy to get to a place where you're not only using external motivation to do something that uh, you're doing it because you value doing something that you want to do it. And it's not because there's someone or something with lashes on the back pushing you in a direction. I, I also, so when I, many of you know, and we've judged about the dogs that I've got, I've got Maggie and I've got Olive and now I've got Charlie. Um, Charlie's Charlie is my stepson. Um, just kidding. <laughs> adopted son now. He's adopted son now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but one of the things is, so I've got my two dogs. Maggie is a therapy dog. Um, she comes and works with us in the office. She works with clients. She's really great. She can be there for when a client's feeling really overwhelmed and emotional. She's done a lot of work with that. Um, Olive is growing 
and is young still and is training to do so eventually so that she can be one of the ones that kind of rotates Maggie out and then also can go into a different office if needs be and work with a different therapist um, and vice versa with Maggie. But with motivation in training, um, I've seen a lot of schools of thought with training. A lot of people are like, ooh, they've got to be internally motivated to do the right thing. With dogs, I'm not saying they're very smart, but they are just as externally motivated as we are in the sense of if you're going to have like a nice chocolate croissant at the end of a, of a, of a race, I will do the race. Okay. (laughs) If it's water, sorry, no, like, I don't care. Um, it's one of those things. And so with the dogs, I've noticed when I do my training, you know, they are motivated by treats. You usually go without breakfast. So that way, you know, they are just hungry enough because they, they eat so much during the day you know, they're just hungry enough to be able to recognize there's a treat rather than all the distraction of all the friends around them and all the fun things they could do in the park, things like that. But you bring them, you have a treat and you look at them and you're like, okay, every time you do something good, I'm giving you a treat. And you can load up on those treats and pay out and they will then listen. And because they're learning behaviors, that's actually really helpful. A lot of people though, I've worked with, they're like, I don't give treats to my dog because, you know, I don't want them being just motivated by treats. But honestly, the the psychology behind it is that this is just as effective and it's actually great to connect with what is your dog like. They also train that if your dog's not food motivated, Charlie doesn't care about food. He loves food when he's hungry, but he's either picky or he just doesn't care. But if you motivate him with like pets and with like coming up and like, yeah, attention and giving him rubs and things like that, like he will do anything, you know, cuddling. He loves to come up and cuddle. And it's one of those things of when you do that or the idea of now you can go play, right? He, that's his motivator. And so I think those external motivators, think of it in the same sense of like, yes, Maggie also will come up to me and be internally motivated that if I'm feeling overwhelmed or if a client's feeling overwhelmed, she knows she's not getting a treat by just coming up and sitting next to someone and putting her paw out and holding hands with them. That's an internal motivator, but that was induced by an external motivator originally. When she was a puppy, she didn't know she could do that. So those internal motivators are great to want to use, but like we were saying, like, don't be afraid of an external. That's okay. We just know that eventually you will get to that internal motivator. Eventually don't try to rush it because you're trying to have the higher power reason of why I'm doing it rather than just trying to establish the habit. We, we call that scaffolding mm-hmm. uh, in, in behavioral therapy or in child development, that you start with an external reward, something that is salient, something that sticks, something that speaks to them, and something that they enjoy. And oh, there we go. That's where the microphone speaks into. Yeah, we found, <laughs> found the angle. And, uh, and then as um, it becomes repetitive, as there's some muscle memory or they like it clicks for the child or the person, uh, the why, uh, there's a the value why uh, that's done. Then you start to dismantle the scaffolding the same way of when you're building a building, there's scaffolding, there's a crane to help erect it. And as the internal structure of the building takes shape, you don't need as much scaffolding. Uh, there's, you know, stairways, there's elevators inside the building. Mm-hmm. And so then the scaffolding is taken down. Not all at once, but over time. I'm thinking about a that 
um, Maggie, Olive, and Charlie are good examples of no metacognition. They're not thinking about their thoughts. They're just responding to their environment, but they they are still able to have that cue routine reward experience, um, which is habit building. And, and then I'm thinking about our clients uh, who, and Taylor, I love that you just talked about that because a lot of times clients will come in and they say, I know I need to change, but maybe the, again, you talked about that external change. And one of the things we do, and I really love um, that both EMDR and ART do this, is that when you do have that positive experience with your new behavior, that we we actually learn to fill that positive feeling. So when you're like, uh, for example, what Haley was saying, when you finish the end of a good meal and you say, gosh, I slept better and I feel better, or you had a hard conversation and you actually were able to repair, you say, oh, that is way better than just avoiding that topic for like the next five years. But we help go through that in therapy. And so it it can be hard to push through some of those instinctual things, but the reward and being able to see the reward and enjoy the reward is an important part of this motivation process that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to recommend because our next episode is on anger, that if you get a chance before you listen to it, to review the episode of the emotion of anger, because the definition of anger, um, of it being something crosses our values is going to be where we come from. Um, when we talk about the emotion of anger, not just rage and, and I don't want to go into it because it's in that other episode, but I'm going to make that recommendation. Um, one other thing to add into metacognition, there's a part of the brain called the insula that is in charge of observing our thoughts. Um, and so there's the metacognition that Jen's talking about where you're self-reflecting, you're thinking about what you're doing and making decisions about whether to change or continue what you're doing. And then there's the metacognition of just observing what you're doing without reflecting on whether it's good or not. And so um, from a very young age, people are able, because insula is present, to observe what they're doing. There's that metacognition. And so your teenager or you might have these um, uh, memories of being able to observe what you're doing, that metacognition. And that doesn't mean that the self-reflection part of the brain has developed yet. All right, you guys. So like I said, take a chance if you can to review that anger podcast and then check out our next episode. We're going to talk specifically about how anger is a resistance to change as part of motivation. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We would love to hear from you.